Hi everyone, I'm Frank Rock and welcome to the From the Hack podcast for week 5 of the 2017-2018 curling season. On this week's episode, we discuss the first Grand Slam of the season, the Tour Challenge taking place this week in Regina. Our guests include Pierre Charette, the Director of Competition for the Pinty's Grand Slam of Curling, and Casey Scheidegger, skip of the ninth ranked team in the world, who won their first Grand Slam event last season at the Meridian Canadian Open in North Battleford, Saskatchewan. Also this week, we launch a series called The Road to Summerside, where we interview the skips of teams that have qualified for the Olympic pre-trials in Summerside PEI this coming November. This week, we interview Tracy Fleury and Brianne Meyer. Also this week, we'll tell you about the first episode of Next Steps with Kristen, an exclusive series of interviews by 2017 Canadian junior champion Kristen Streifel. And we'll also tell you about the next episode of Cheryl Bernard's Behind the Hack series. We'll also recap the action from week four, including a chat with Colin Hodgson, who won the Canadiens Mixed Doubles Classic with Chelsea Carey on the weekend, and look ahead to this weekend's other events. All that and more, but first, Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire, Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. Let's start recapping all the action from week four with the Stu Cells Oakville Tankard, where defending champions Team Terenzoni of Switzerland defeated Team Adaw of Ontario 3-2 in the final. It was a strong performance by Team Terenzoni, who beat Team Hasselberg of Sweden, Team Kabeskova of the Czech Republic, and twice defeated their Swiss rivals, Team Felcher, on their way to the final. In the men's event, 2016 World Junior Champions Team Mawad of Scotland defeated Team Chang Min Kim of Korea 6-4 in the final. The Koreans surprised many by qualifying for the final with victories over Team Balson of Kingston in the quarterfinal and Team McCormick of the U.S. in the semis. One of the best mixed doubles fields ever assembled was in Winnipeg on the weekend for the Canad Inns Mixed Doubles Classic. The level of competition was so tough that none of the medalists from the 2017 World Mixed Doubles Championships qualified for the playoffs. Rachel Holman and John Morris, the defending champions in the event, made it to the quarterfinals before losing to the team of Chelsea Carey and Colin Hodgson, who went on to defeat 2016 Canadian champions Jocelyn Peterman and Brett Gallant 7-3 in the final. Colin Hodgson joined from the hack to discuss his team's victory in Winnipeg. You and Chelsea won the Canadiens Mixed Doubles Classic in Winnipeg this weekend. How did it feel to get the victory in what was arguably one of the best mixed doubles fields ever? You know, it felt like it was, I guess, a little bit of a relief that, uh, you know, we, you know, we're great friends and, and we've been, you know, putting a little bit of time into mixed doubles and, and playing together and shows that, you know, the hard work we've been doing with, uh, not, not only, you know, with each other, with our, um, with our teams that, you know, it pays off and, and we're looking forward to having a chance, uh, you know, potentially of going to the Olympics for a new format. You and Chelsea reeled off eight consecutive wins after losing your opening game. What did you take from that first game that helped you moving forward? Well, we learned a lot about what we shouldn't be doing, which is missing shots the wrong way and uh, constantly. So, um, you know, it just gave us some perspective of, you know, we're not... You know, because we play on tour all the time, we're not necessarily really great at the format. So we had to really put a lot of focus in and, and work with each other on every shot and make good plans for all those shots so that we, you know, get the rock placement that, that you need to have any success in mixed doubles. You defeated the defending champions Rachel Holman and John Morris in the quarterfinals. Now, I realize that both you and Chelsea are used to playing versus Rachel and John in regular World Curling Tour events or in Grand Slams, so they don't intimidate you the way they might a younger, less experienced team. That being said, I'm assuming a victory against a team of that caliber certainly didn't hurt your confidence heading into the semifinals and then the final. 
No, for sure it helped. You know, we we put together a good game against them, but we were fortunate that, you know, they had a, a full day off and, you know, we were sharp because we had been through a lot of games in a row and had been playing on the ice a lot more. So I think we had a bit of an advantage by continuing to play on, even though, you know, maybe we're a little more tired, but, you know, they were just a little off th- today. They were such a, they're such a great team and they're, they're great players. And, you know, sometimes you got to be lucky to win. And on some of the shots uh, we were, so, um, but yeah, we had a lot of confidence after, after, you know, finally, you know, getting a win versus them because I think the previous two times we played them, you know, they came out and played great and beat us. So it was, it was kind of like a monkey off our back playing against them. And now we have a lot more confidence that confidence that we know that, you know, we can put together a good game and, and beat, you know, arguably the, the best team, uh, you know, on this, on this mixed doubles world tour, <laughs> I guess as it's called. Will the two of you be getting any more mixed doubles competitions in before the Olympic trials in January? Uh, th- this is it. Um, it's such a busy schedule before the trials are only a few months away. So focus goes back to our, our, our regular teams, but that doesn't mean we don't uh, still watch video and, and watch what's going on and throughout the world with mixed doubles. So um, we're still making plans and, you know, in case, in case we happen to need it after, after the trials, but either way, we're pretty excited to have, two potential chances uh, at the Olympics. So, um, you know, it's always in the back of your mind, but our, our uh, first focus is definitely what we've been working towards for the last three and a half years with our current teams. Finally, Colin, you're now headed to Regina to play for Team Carruthers in the Tour Challenger Grand Slam. How has the team looked in preseason practice and what level of play are you expecting from your team and others, seeing as this will be the first competitive event for many of the teams in the field at the Tour Challenge? You know, I think the level of play will be, you know, as high as we've seen it at the start of the season. Everyone's been working harder, working harder in the gym and working harder, uh, you know, together as teams figuring out what, what their plan is. I think everybody has a clear idea of what they need to do individually and together as teams to to try and peak in December. So, you know, I think everybody's ready to go. We're, we have uh, ice available earlier than we've ever had it. So it pretty much doesn't even seem like we have an off season anymore. So seems like uh, everybody's pretty pretty geared up and ready to go, so expect nothing less than the same from our team, but, you know, it's the first event, so if we come out, you know, and struggle, it's because we're working on things to try and peak at the right time, so hopefully we can, you know, continue the success that uh, we had last season and, and I guess the success from this weekend, but, you know, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things uh, how we perform as long as we're, we're getting better and, and our plan is to peak at the right time, not necessarily right away. The first event on the European calendar, the Baden Masters, typically has a strong feel with a European flavor, and this season was no exception. Four of the top 20 teams in the world, including defending champions Team de Cruz of Switzerland and top-ranked Team Adina of Sweden, were in Baden with the intention of starting the 2017-2018 season on a winning note. If there was any doubt as to whether Nicholas Adin was fully recovered from off-season surgery, they were put to rest when Adin led his team into the playoffs where he defeated the defending champions in the quarterfinal and Team Fister of Switzerland in the semis. In the final, Team Adin defeated their old rivals from Norway, Team Olsrud, by a score of 6-5 for their second title at the Baden Masters in the past three seasons. Meanwhile, the inaugural Tallinn Challenger took place over the weekend in Estonia, with Cameron Bryce and his Scottish side winning the title by defeating Team Gulbis of Latvia 7-2 in the final. Local favourite Harry Lill continued his strong early season play following his mixed doubles victory at the recent New Zealand Winter Games by qualifying for the semi-finals in Tallinn. Team Lill were defeated 5-2 in the third place game by Team Emran of Russia. Looking ahead at week 5 of the schedule, the Tour Challenge, the first Grand Slam of the season, is taking place in Regina. 
The Tour Challenge is unique in that it includes both a Tier 1 and a Tier 2 event and provides teams ranked outside of the Top 15 with a chance to participate in a Grand Slam. Organizers also make a point of inviting several teams based in the region where the event is hosted to play in the Tier 2, providing them with a Grand Slam experience that they may otherwise never enjoy. Both Team Sweden of Calgary and Team Adina of Sweden will be on hand to defend the Tier 1 titles they won last season in Cranbrook, BC. This year's Tier 2 women's event at the Tour Challenge is getting a lot of attention as the field includes several well-known teams, such as 2016 Scotty's champion Team Carry of Calgary, two-time world champions Team Felcher of Switzerland, Team Sidrova of Russia, the silver medalist at last spring's world championships, the reigning U.S. champions Team Sinclair of Minnesota, and Team Anderson of Winnipeg, who won the Boost National Grand Slam last season. Among the well-known teams in the men's Tier 2 event are defending champions Team Balson of Kingston, 2017 Alberta champs Team Botcher, and Team Thomas, both from Edmonton. With the world's top teams in Regina for the Tour Challenge, the men's field at the Ontario Curling Tours Fall Classic in Oakville includes several young teams that someday soon will be playing in slams of their own, such as 2016 World Junior Champions Team Mowat of Scotland coming off their victory at the Stucells Tankard, 2014 World Junior Champ Yannick Schwaller and his team from Switzerland, as well as Team Horgan of Sudbury, Ontario. Among the veteran teams expected at the Fall Classic are Team Brewster of Scotland, Team Sterney, the 2016 World Championship silver medalist from Denmark, and Team Bice of Sarnia. The women's field at the Fall Classic will include 2016 European champions Team Moiseva of Russia, 2017 World Junior Champions Team Vrana of Sweden, Team Christensen of the United States, and an Ontario contingent led by local favourites Team Hegestad of Oakville. And finally in Week 5, there are two junior events on the schedule with the Curlers Corner Men's and Women's Junior Bond Spiels in Calgary and the Parksville, B.C. Men's and Women's Junior Event in Parksville, B.C. It is time for this week's Fresh Pebble, your news and notes from the world of curling. In Europe, this weekend we'll see the inaugural Oberstdorf International Mixed Doubles Cup in Oberstdorf, Germany, with 18 teams from Europe competing for a purse of €3,200. The field includes the team of Heikova and Paul from the Czech Republic, and the team of Meisner and Butner of Germany, who represented the respective countries at the 2017 World Mixed Doubles Championships. In Pacific Asia, it was a weekend of mixed results for several Asian teams competing on the World Curling Tour. Team Changmin Kim did well to reach the final at the Stu Cells Oakville Tankard, while Team Liu of China qualified for the quarterfinals in the same event, where they lost to Team McCormick of the United States. Both Team Ogasawara of Japan and Team Zhang of China made it to the finals of the C event in Oakville, but neither could advance to the playoffs. Meanwhile, at the Canadiens Mixed Doubles Classic in Winnipeg, the team of Jimei and Jingwan Wang qualified for the playoffs before losing to the team of Brian Knapp and Mark Nichols, while reigning world bronze medalists Rui Wang and Dek Shanba failed to qualify for the playoffs. In the U.S., Team McCormick was the only American team to qualify for the playoffs at these two cells tankered in Oakville. Meanwhile, at the Canadiens Mixed Doubles event in Winnipeg, two of the nine American teams qualified for the playoffs with reigning U.S. champions Becca Hamilton and Matt Hamilton reaching the semis before losing to the team of Chelsea Carey and Colin Hodgson, while the team of Monica Walker and Jason Smith lost to the team of Jennifer Jones and Brent Lang in the quarterfinals. In Canada, at the Carlton Heights Labor Day Under-21 Spiel, Team Marin of St. John New Brunswick defeated Team Bowden of Kingston 5-3 in the men's final, while Team Sutherland of Ottawa defeated Team Beliveau, also from Ottawa, 6-4 in the women's final. The first episode of First Steps with Kristen, hosted by 2017 Canadian junior champion Kristen Streifel, is now available online. 
Kristen's first guest is fellow Saskatchewan native Kirk Myers of Team Laycock. Myers discusses the early part of his career, what he wishes he had known when he first turned pro, and he shares valuable insights for younger players and teams. Here's Myers talking about the unexpected lineup change that occurred for Team Laycock late last season. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, uh, t- taken aback a little bit. Certainly uh, still great friends with Flash. We go we go golf and we go drink and we have a good time for sure. Um, n- not, no issues there, but um, it was certainly, we were caught off guard. We didn't didn't think it would happen. But at the same time, like I talked about, uh, um, there's so much time commitment and, and so much commitment in this, um, in the way we do the game, the way we play the game. He just said he needed some time. He just wasn't having fun and wasn't enjoying the game anymore. And that's something I can really respect and I understand. I, I went through that myself. So um, I I certainly, you know, it was tough to take. It was a tough uh, pill to swallow knowing that we were six months away from what we'd set out to do. But that being said, the, what he said and the reason for, for, you know, stepping back and just playing the game and, and finding his love for it again and just enjoying playing, um, totally respect that, totally understood where he's coming from. Like I said, I've went through it myself. So adding a guy like Matt Dunstone never hurts either. The next steps with Kristen's series will air throughout the season as Kristen continues her journey from juniors to the pros all the while discussing the transition with fellow curlers and athletes from other sports that have experienced a similar transition. Also this week, in the third episode of her Behind the Hack series, Cheryl Bernard interviews Jerry Peckham, the director of high performance with Curling Canada. Peckham has played a key role behind the scenes for the better part of 30 years in helping Canadian teams achieve their peak performance at the Olympics and other international events. In the interview, Peckham provides invaluable insight for any team currently preparing for the Olympic trials or pre-trials. Here is a clip from the interview with Peckham where he discusses what teams should look for in a coach when they are at or approaching the elite level. In this day and age, you're right. A team needs to determine whether they're looking for a very uh, specialized difference maker or whether they're looking for a maestro, someone to kind of conduct a band. And um, we see a bit of both, but most of our elite teams in this day and age have a performance team or a group of consultants or contributors um, to their overall effort. There aren't many coaches anymore that are recognized as kind of being one-stop shopping for all mm-hmm. things. So my sense is, in, you know, that um, with our more elite teams, they need someone to help them put together a very well-thought-out plan, right? So that's where some of our, you know, people like Elaine Dag-Jackson, uh, people like Rick Lang, um, people like Paul Webster, people like Helen Radford, and there's quite a lengthy list there of people who can help uh, either a player or a team organize an, an entire plan with an ultimate objective. And then you will have role players within that plan. And in and in around competition, or just leading up to competition, I think it helps to have someone in your corner that's been there, done that. So someone that has a bit of a competitive resume that can relate to both what you're going to experience, what you're feeling, what you're thinking, where the you know speed bumps are, and how to best navigate either the week or the weekend that lies ahead of you. The Road to Summerside is an exclusive From the Hack feature that includes interviews with the skips of teams that are headed to the Olympic pre-trials in Summerside PEI. Our first guest in the series is Tracy Fleury, skip of the 11th ranked team in the world and a veteran of the 2013 Olympic pre-trials. Tracy, your team has consistently qualified for their playoffs at tour events over the past two seasons, but you've only won one event during that period. Is it a simple matter of always running into hot teams once you reach the playoffs, 
or has your team been working on a way to get you over that hump, especially in an important season such as this one? That's a good question, and it's uh, definitely a trend that our team has noticed as well. And I think there's a couple reasons for that. The past couple of years, we've really been trying to play in the uh, more elite events, the Grand Slams and stuff. So, But by doing that, it's great experience, but you're playing against a lot of teams that are ranked higher than you, which makes it hard to have deep playoff runs and hard to win events. So that's part of the reason why uh, we haven't been doing quite as well in the playoffs as we hope to. And um, another reason I'd say would be, although our team, we do get some upset from time to time, they tend to be more in round-robin games than in uh, playoff games. So uh, that's a trend for our team, but it's uh, a work in progress and something that we're uh, trying to improve on. Ideally, your team would have qualified directly for the Olympic trials, but you will get a chance at the pre-trials, an event at which you've got some previous experience. What did you and your team learn at the 2013 Olympic pre-trials that will help you prepare for the event and will also help you once on-site in Summerside? I think the pre-trials really um, shows how deep the talent is in Canada and I mean you don't have the top seven teams in Canada competing but the event is still really hard Um, so that's one of the main things that we remember from four years ago is you need to come in and you need to play your best um, to be successful so that's definitely something that we learned it'll feel a little bit different this time around than four years ago um, being um, a higher seed this time around so uh, it's a little bit uh, of a different mindset going in this time, but we definitely learned some things from four years ago that we'll bring into this time. Most players talk about planning their Olympic season so that they can peak in time for the trials, or in your case, the pre-trials. Has this changed the way you are approaching the season? Are you playing more or fewer events in the lead-up to the pre-trials than you would have in a normal season? Yeah, I think all teams are trying to figure that out, what the right mix of uh, events and practice and stuff for us. We're taking on a little bit of a lighter schedule uh, next year, um, mostly just because we don't have the point chase that we had last season. But um, So that's one change for us. And uh, we also wanted to uh, add a couple events that um, more like B-level events to kind of get some more experience um, competing in an event where we are a higher seed. So like the past couple years we've had great experience competing in the grand slams and stuff but we've kind of gotten used to playing as an underdog and going for upsets and stuff so we want to make sure going into the pre-trials that we have enough experience being one of the favorites the dream for most curlers is to represent their country at the olympic games what would it mean for you to represent canada in pyeongchang it would be surreal i mean it's kind of hard to put it into words exactly but uh, especially as a team who hasn't represented canada before it would obviously be a massive accomplishment for us, but uh, we're trying to just take it one step at a time and uh, not focus on that big prize at the end. There will soon be an addition to Team Fleury as your sister Jen, who happens to play third for your team, is expecting a child. All things being equal, is Jen expected to be back in time for the pre-trials, or are you expecting her back later in the season? Yeah, Jen uh, is due um, in three weeks now, so we're really excited for the little guy to arrive. She is coming to Summerside, and she's bringing the baby, uh, but she's not planning to play, unless, of course, there's an injury or something. But that's kind of one of the nice things about our five-person team is she can take the time that she needs, and uh, she's hoping to um, start competing uh, at our event after the pre-trials. And uh, hopefully, uh, if she's capable, she'll uh, play with 
the bulk of the rest of the season. Our next guest on the road to Summerside is Brianne Maillard, the skip of the 34th ranked team in the world, who will be making her first appearance at a trials or pre-trials in Summerside. Brianne, there are some in our audience that may not know much about you and your team. Can you tell us a little bit about your curling background and perhaps tell us a little bit about your team? Sure. Um, Brianne uh, Knapp now, sorry. Brianne Knapp and I used to play together in juniors and actually won back-to-back junior championships for Manitoba in 2010 and 11, I think, back when she was skipping me and I was playing third. And she's had a lot of success with a lot of other teams as well. Um, so she's played with Kathy Overton in the past. She's skipped her own team and had a lot of success. She's also played with Caitlin Laws and won the junior Canadian championship with her. Um, Janelle Vichon is our second, and she has had some university curling success. She's from Brandon, and she is a great, great player. I took, I'm really happy that I found her when I did. Um, Sarah Newfeld is our lead. She's played. She had played with the same team for a long time and always been up there as one of the top teams in Manitoba, and I'm glad to have her on our team as well. She's a great judge of weight. I understand that the goal of every team that is qualified for the pre-trials or the trials is ultimately to qualify for Pyeongchang. That being said, I'm wondering what would be an acceptable result for your team and outside of winning, what you're hoping to gain from your experience at the pre-trials. Yeah, I'd say our main focus is having a good performance out there. We know that we're a new team. Um, Three of us have played together only for one year and now we have Brianne Knapp on with us for the first season. So... We know we're a good team and we know we have what it takes. If we're playing well, we have as good a chance as anyone else to get that pre-trial spot. But we're just focused on taking one game at a time, trying to take all the experience we can out there and play our best and see what happens. We really want to win that spot, one of the two spots, I should say. But our main focus is just playing well as a team and getting on a good groove out there. What is the approach for your team heading into pre-trials? Are you playing several events to get as many reps in as possible? Or are you playing a more limited schedule in order to be fresher come the pre-trials and hope you are peaking once you get to Summerside? Yeah, we're trying to get in as many events as we can before the pre-trials. We don't want to burn ourselves out though, but uh, we're trying to play in a lot of actually close to home bond fields this year because we have one player from Regina, one player from Brandon, she'll actually be moving into the city, though, for the season, which is awesome. And then our lead has a new baby. So we're trying to not burn out and get as many games in as we can that we think will benefit us. Get a lot of practice in because we think that's really important, especially as a new team, to gel and be all on the same page when we get on the ice. You and many other teams ranked in the 20s or 30s in the world are all trying to make that leap into the top 15, which means invites to the Grand Slams, etc. At this point in your progression as curlers and as a team, what areas are you focusing on to help you get over that next hump? Yeah, I think consistency is a huge part of it. We all have to make our shots when it counts, and we have to all be on the same page out there. We have to practice a lot, get all those little kinks worked out before we play, And then learn a lot is also a big thing. We need to take something from every game and put it into the next one. Because if you're not learning, you're not getting better. So I think it's important we started to meet before and after games. And we've also been taking notes so that we're all on on the same page before the game starts. And then after the game, we're also debriefing and making sure we know what it takes to make ourselves better for the next game. 
And finally, Brianne, two-part question for you. First of all, what's your fondest Olympic memory from having watched the games on TV in your childhood or in, you know, as you became a young adult? And what would it mean for you to someday represent Canada at the Olympic Games, perhaps even in 2018 in Pyeongchang? The last memory I remember would be, obviously, Jennifer Jones winning the gold at the Olympics the last round there. It was awesome because she's hometown girl and we see her a lot. So it was great to see their team win. And it just watching anyone really win a gold medal, it makes you realize how real it could be and all the hard work it takes to get there. It was really amazing to see that for their team. To be in the Olympics ourselves, that would be crazy, I think. <laughs> it's even hard to think about it. I try not to think about it because I know it takes a lot of steps to get there for us and we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because we want to stay in the moment and focus on our next event instead of the end result at the end of all this process. But I know that I can speak on behalf of the girls and myself. It would be an unreal experience and something that not everyone gets to have, and we would really cherish it if it happened to us. As mentioned earlier, the first Grand Slam of the season is taking place this week, and that means our annual chat with the Director of Competition for the Pinty's Grand Slam of Curling, Pierre Charette. Pierre, we are recording this interview on the fifth anniversary of Sportsnet Broadcasting its first Grand Slam event. You've been involved with the Grand Slams for years now. Can you speak about how the involvement of Sportsnet has impacted the Grand Slam of Curling? Well, honestly, it's been been the key to to the announcement of the Grand Slam series. Uh, You know, uh, I can't believe it's already been five years, but uh, you know we went from uh, you know before Sportsnet we had uh, one ladies event, uh, which was the Tour Championship, and then the four men's event. Uh, so we have you know really you call it like five different uh, different events, but now we've got uh, seven, seven on the men's side, six on the women's side, and soon to go seven and seven for. Uh, the following season, so uh, Sportsnet has really stepped up to the plate, and you really believe in curling and the future of curling, and that's great uh, for the fans and the players. There are a few teams that had breakthroughs last season at the Slams, including Team Scheidegger, Team Flaxy, Team Einerson, Team Hasselberg on the women's side, and Kyle Smith's team from Scotland on the men's side. Is it more difficult for teams to achieve that breakthrough and earn a regular spot in the Slams, or is it more difficult for them to maintain that spot in the Slams once they get to that level? I think it's about the same. It's really, really hard to get there. There's no doubt. But once once they have a taste of it, I mean, you, know, you look at like you said, Scheidegger and Smith and uh, you know Flaxy's like you know she's in there. Like I mean, she's top five, top six. So uh, I think once they get in the top ten, because uh, as you know, we usually take you know we fifteen or sixteen teams to play in these events. And once you get in the top ten, you kind of have a little cushion. But when you're in uh, those 13, 14, 15 spots, God awful, it, it's certainly a lot of pressure. Uh, even when they play the secondary events, to, to make sure they have to perform to, to, to stay up there and get some points. And then you've got the teams, like you said, that are on the bubble, like 17, 18, 19. Then they go out, they play a lot, and they, they earn some points, and they and they, uh, you know, they make it. They make it in the, in the slam. And once they're there, they they want to stay there. So you know, they have to play good. Uh, you know, if you, probably the first time you get into a slam, if you qualify in that slam, which is not easy, then you're probably good for two or three more. But if you happen to not take your, you know, take your opportunity to 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 qualify, then you're probably back down to 17 or 18. So it's def- definitely uh, pressure packed, and that's that's what's great about the slams, and that's why 
players want to play in them so bad. Is there a team or two this year that you have your eyes on as possibly being the next teams to have a breakthrough in one or more of the slams this season? Well, I think the teams that, that broke through last year, like especially Smith from uh, from Scotland, and, and as you know, they actually been picked over Murdoch's team because they're up against Scotland at the Olympics. Imagine what that team, you know, they 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 barely made it into the slams at the start of the year and they had a fantastic fantastic season. And now they ended up being named the Olympic uh, rep for Scotland. So, I mean, uh, to, to me, that's, that, that was a, revel- a revelation the last year and how dominating Dean was last year. They were they, were, they played awesome all year, you know, won a couple of slams and were really consistent, won the Rogers Cup. So uh, as far as the new team, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see how Simmons is going to do with his new team, how uh, – how uh, you know how, how Glenn Howard's going to bounce back? I know he wasn't too happy that uh, that you know he, he was knocked out of a few uh, few events last year. Now he's back. I think he's ranked 13th, so he needs to perform uh, early and stuff. As far as the new teams, there's not too many new teams this year because of the Olympic qualifying year. Everybody's basically has their their uh, you know their their lineup set, and uh, I think you'll see more. I think you'll see more of the veteran players like Simmons and Howard maybe have a bounce back year where they, uh, you know, they give it one last shot and work hard and uh, and you know and and try to uh, move up in the standings so that they can play in all the events leading up the uh, the Olympic qualifiers and it's going to be a hell of a season. The Tour Challenge is a unique event in that it includes both a Tier 1 and a Tier 2 event. I was wondering if the Grand Slam of Curling is considering adding a second Tier 2 event to the schedule. Not sure about that. I, I know that uh, I know that next year uh, we're gonna the schedule will be changed a little bit. I, I, I don't want to I don't want to leak it, but uh, uh, you know the um, the tour challenge is probably going to be played played a little later in the season. So to give a chance to teams to uh, you know all the teams that want to play in tier two to get some events under their belt before the season starts, so they could maybe uh, you know uh, win their way into tier two, but. Uh, uh, our schedule is really, really uh, full, and when you and when you take in consideration all the uh, qualifying for the Scotties and the Briar and and you know the Skins game, the, you know all these all these uh, exhibition events, I, I don't think we can squeeze another event. Uh, uh, as far as expand one uh, into another tier two, I'm, I'm not sure to be honest. Uh, I think uh, we always talk about different things to uh, you know to improve our events. Uh, not sure if we need a second Tier 2 event, but uh, hey, you never know. The Tour Challenge will be the first event of the season for many of the top Canadian teams. Do you think that the teams having played already this season, either in Oakville or in Winnipeg or in Baden, Switzerland, will have an advantage over the teams that have yet to play in a Tour event? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah you're right. Maybe it's, uh, it's an opportunity. I know the uh, teams from Europe have been on the ice for, for like six, seven weeks. And I know there's more and more facilities in Canada that that, that open up, you know, with some ice early, early like late summer kind of thing, just to, so those teams can get to practice, right? So, and like I said, there's a lot of teams from Europe and from uh, from Asia that are playing in Tier Two this year, much more than than normal. And uh, you know, even Sidorova from Russia is in Tier Two. You've got Felcher, a former world champion. You got uh, Liu from from China. So. You know, the Canadian teams better be ready because those teams have been on the ice for, for weeks and weeks now. And like you say, some of them are playing in Oakville this week. 
this weekend, and uh, they're sort of going to be ready. So, so there could be some surprises, yes. And tier two for those teams is huge because the winners get to inv- get invited to play in the Masters. So that's an automatic uh, invite for for another slam. So it gives you know obviously if they win their tier two, they're going to get some really good points, and then they get the opportunity to play in the Masters and more points, and that could be the stepping stone, just like what happened to Anderson a, a couple of years ago, to Smith, and uh, you know those teams that uh, they were able to win a slam and uh, win it win the tier two, and it and it uh, you know, it started uh, jump started a great season for both those teams. The Grand Slam of Curling has a history of trying out new rules or different formats at their events, and I was wondering if you were planning on experimenting with anything this season. Uh, you know, we don't want to change too many things uh, right now because, uh, you know, the team's obviously using this for the preparations for their uh, pre-trials or their trial events, so uh, we're not going to tinker with too many, uh, with any rule changes compared to last year, at least in the first event. Uh, maybe in the second half of the year, uh, you know, uh, when we play the Elite Ten or or uh, our Tour Championship or the uh, Tournament of Champions, we might come up with some stuff, but that's for later in the year. But for now, we're going to let the teams uh, battle it out just the way they did the last few years. And, um, you know, I, th- I think our, we have uh, really nice rules and stuff, and as far as, you know, draw to the button and everything. So it puts a lot of pressure on the teams. You know, just to draw to the button where every player has to go once, and then we add it up, you know, that, that makes a difference between for ranking the teams for tiebreakers and stuff. So every single draw to the button is a lot of pressure because we count four out of the four, so we count them all. So when you come down to the last round-robin draw, you see, you know, some teams might be ranked first or second in the shootout, and they... They go back eight or something because they're too nervous because they know how important it is. So that's you know I, I love I love the way our events are are, are played and uh, and and they're pressure packed from uh, you know from the first day to the final and uh, so we're not going to tinker with any of that uh, early in the year anyways. Mixed doubles has been receiving a lot of attention over the past couple of seasons since it was added to the Olympic schedule. Do you see a day when a mixed doubles event might be part of the Grand Slam of curling? Well, I, I can just tell you that we did talk about mixed doubles. Um, you know, it's certainly not my uh, my decision to make. You know, but you know, we we have the uh, production team and and the people at Sportsnet TV and stuff. So uh, you know, it's uh, I, I think mixed doubles are here to stay. It's an Olympic event, so um, I wouldn't be surprised if down the road we we do something. I think we could probably do something that where we could combine a, a slam and a mixed doubles almost at the same time. You know, maybe add a day to the event because, you know, as you know, mixed double games are not very long. And you uh, you use uh, some of the same players that are playing in the slam, let's say. So it could be like a, uh, you know, a regular slam and a mixed double, uh, you know, that maybe ends one day later or something like that. So we, we did talk about that uh, in the last uh, season or two. So it might be something down the road. You never know. And finally, Pierre, I have a two-part question for you. The Grand Slam of Curling tends to move its events around from community to community, except perhaps the Players' Championship, which seems to have found a somewhat permanent home in Toronto. Is the plan to continue to move the Grand Slam of Curling events around? And the second part of my question is, if a club or an organization out there is interested in bidding to host a Grand Slam, how would they go about doing that? I believe, uh, I believe, like you said, the... Uh... Uh, that the championship in Toronto and Mattamy, I think, is a fantastic venue. Uh, uh, players love to play there. It's the you know it's the highlight of the season. Uh, the Jays started playing by then, so 
So, the, you know, for us, uh, the first championship is like almost a, you know, it's a reward of how good the teams played that year, and, uh, and it's a great get-together. So we're hoping to stay at Madame for years and, and just make it like a, a destination that uh, all the curling fans, you know, at one point will say, well, geez, let's go down to Toronto, watch the Players' Championship, go see a couple Blue Jays game, you know, make a, uh, a great uh, week out of it. So, uh, But as far as the other events, uh, we're definitely moving them around. Like uh, I actually had a, a glance at the next year's schedule and we're going to, uh, I think the five of the, uh, the other six events will be in places we've never been yet. So I think it's great. I think it's great to move with, uh, across the country. So, um, you know, for your, the second part of your, uh, your question is that definitely yes, but, uh, uh, curling clubs or organizations they can apply to to get a slam so uh, all they have to do is reach out at the uh, uh, through the grand slam curling website they can find uh, uh, christy uh, who's, who's our uh, executive director or jen uh, or myself and uh, you know they, they, they can get a hold of, of any one of us and we'll uh, certainly direct the uh, you know there's a package that uh, that uh, that the management group can send out you know just for their requirements to be able to host the slam and stuff so it's very well done and it helps the committee to decide whether they can they can do it or not but i mean it's everybody every community in canada and even in the states is welcome to apply for uh, for a slam, I think it, that's one of the things that we might. We're hoping, uh, you know, us in management, we're kind of hoping that we'll we'll do one at one point here, either in Europe, in Asia, or in in the States, and just to, to keep it moving around. And like like the Tour Challenge, like the the first event, you know, definitely needs to move around because, as you know, in Tier Two, we invite five regional teams that come from from the host uh, province. So like. Like there'll be five teams that uh, would probably never get have a chance to play in the slam that are going to play uh, five men's team in Regina and five women's team that are maybe ranked from uh, 20 to 50, uh, but they get to play because that's that's the tour challenge. Tour challenge we always invite five regional teams. When we go in the in the Maritimes, or we the Maritimes are kind of we it's like one uh, one region so. When we went to Paradise a few years ago, we invited teams from New Brunswick, Nova Scotia, BEI, Newfoundland. So uh, players love that. It's a chance to once in a lifetime for many of those teams to play in a slam. And uh, so the Tour Challenge, I think, is uh, uh, it's definitely going to always move around. And, and to make it fair, you know, we actually have to go to, to every province at one point to, so that every region, every region has a chance to play in the slam. Our final guest this week is Casey Scheidegger, the skip of the ninth-ranked team in the world. Team Scheidegger made their Grand Slam debut last season by qualifying for the playoffs in the Tier 2 event at the Tour Challenge. They followed that up with some success on the World Curling Tour, and then they had their breakthrough performance when they won the Meridian Canadian Open Grand Slam in North Battleford, Saskatchewan. Casey, last season your team participated in four Grand Slam events. You qualified for the playoffs in three of them, and you won the Canadian Open in North Battleford while winning two other events on the World Curling Tour. How much more confident are you heading into this important Olympic season than you were at the start of last season? We're feeling really good, and I think our confidence level is increased exponentially since the since last season. You know, winning those events was obviously a huge confidence booster for us, and we're feeling really good. We're working well together, and I think that we're just really excited to start playing again. 
Truth be told, your team managed to sneak up on some teams during the first half of last season, but now that you are ranked in the top 10 in the world, it's your team that will have a target on its back at events. What has your team been working on both game-wise and mentally to help you prepare for this new challenge? Yeah, it's definitely a little bit of a different position for us um, because we're kind of used to sneaking up on teams ourselves. But we're we're excited and we look forward to the opportunity because we feel that every team is going to bring their best game against us, and that's the only way that we'll get better too. So we we know what it's like to be taken lightly, I guess, or underestimated. So we're going to try and not do that to anybody, just because uh, curling is a funny sport and. The team that should win on paper doesn't always, so we are just going to do our best to stay consistent, and we've been working on making sure that we are as consistent as we can be. And then on the mental side, we've been working with a sports psych who has been training us to become stronger mentally and, you know, battle through tough games, things like that. Now that your team is in the top 10, I'm assuming that outside of the Olympic trials, most of your schedule will be focused on the Grand Slams this season. But there seems to be two approaches by teams heading into the trials. Some of them are playing heavy schedules to get as many reps in as possible, while others seem to have a lighter schedule so that they can go into Ottawa a little bit more rested. What approach is your team taking? Yeah, I, I we noticed that as well, that some teams are just going hard and others are a little bit more laid back. And we're definitely one of the more laid back teams. So our approach was to play in the slams because they're, they're bigger events and they're always lots of fun as well. So And we're going to get the best competition within our Canadian teams and then the international teams as well. So we are playing in all of the ones that we get invited to. And then we're also playing in Calgary Autumn Gold. And so that will be an addition to our schedule. And uh, we're we're just taking it light to make sure we're nice and rested. And among our weekends off, we're going to do various training weekends with our coach, Carolyn McRory. And um, we're looking forward to it. We, we actually are a team that doesn't usually do a very heavy schedule just because of work commitments and things like that. So for us to do more than six fields would be a big change from September to December anyways. So... I think that we wanted to keep it consistent to make sure that we weren't doing anything out of our comfort zone. Obviously, most teams in Canada and the U.S. are focused on the respective Olympic trials this season, at least in the first half of the season. How much work have you and your team done off the ice to make sure that you don't get tunnel vision with regards to trials, which could lead to a lack of focus and difficulties in Grand Slams and other events prior to Ottawa? I think working with our sports like, has been really really great for us and that's actually something that's been new for our team I know that individually we've kind of had our own experiences but as a team we've never worked with a sports psych and so having Tara on board has been really great for us and I've been doing lots of work with her individually as well to just mentally prepare for each event not so much the trials because we want to become, we want to bring our best selves to the trials, and we feel that the only way we can do that is by playing our best at each event and learning from all of our losses and experiences at every event that we play in. And we, we just kind of t- are taking on the mentality when the trials get here, then we'll focus on that, but everything else is just preparation and and um, trying to get as much experience as we can and just learn more about ourselves and us as a team.
Your third, Kieran McTaggart, has trials experience as a player, and your lead, Christy Moore, was the fifth for Team Bernard at the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver. How has your team tried to leverage their experience on those stages and also in the season leading up to the trials to help prepare you for this Olympic season? Well, Carolyn has been a huge bonus to our team, and she brings so much experience and um, life knowledge about just curling in general and making sure that we're not feeling that extra pressure and that ton- and having that tunnel vision because I think that when she, when she played in the trials, they didn't. Team Bernard did not have that tunnel vision, and they were really well prepared when they went in. And so she's just kind of filled us in on what to expect and how to prepare mentally and off ice as well, like with our our physical training and things like that. And so that's been a huge bonus. And then Christy being the fifth for Team Bernard when they played in the Olympics is also she brings so much experience to our team, and it's really nice to have her on the ice. And she's a really calm a very calm force. She's intense, but she's calm, and I think that she all makes us feel really confident and calm, and we're just excited to have her on the team as well. When I interview younger players, they often talk about wanting to reach the top 15 in the world rankings, mostly because that's when you start getting invites to slams, you typically can get more sponsorship and get invites to more corporate outings, etc. Your team has made the step up into the top 15 last season. To provide a little perspective to some of the younger curlers on tour and in our audience, can you share if and how your climb into the top 15 has impacted your team? Yeah, it it has been a lot different, and last season was the first season that we received any funding, too, from Curling Canada and now with Own the Podium. So I think that has been a huge help, and we can't thank Own the Podium and Curling Canada enough for the funding that they've given our team. And then um, White Owl Whiskey and Highwood Distillers has agreed to join our team again this year, and they they did increase their sponsorship, and it's something that we were thrilled about, and they are just a great support for our team, and I know that a lot of the employees are, you know, contacting us and cheering us on and things like that, so to have a sponsor like that, you know, part of as part of our team is just really wonderful, and we're so excited to have them back. Um, and then we did get a few other sponsors as well. Um, with Christy and Carrie Ann both being in Grand Prairie now, I think that helped, and they have some connections there. So we we do have some additional sponsors as well from up up north. Um, and then I guess our same sponsors that my sister and I have have had for years on our team have continued to to stick with us. So it it's nice to have you know everybody part of the family so to speak and finally Casey the tour challenge will be your team's first event of the season understanding that you want to win each event you enter I'm wondering what the approach and expectations will be for your team seeing as how you'll have not been in competition since last May we're gonna go in and try and work the kinks out because obviously we probably haven't thrown as much as some of the other teams that we'll be playing against in the tier one division but we aren't using that as an excuse for performing not as well as what we would expect um, at the beginning of the season. So we did have a really great training weekend last weekend, so that was really good to see everybody because, you know, we are one of those teams that has quite a bit of distance between our four players. And, you know, we felt great and we were throwing really well, and I think that our off-ice training during the summer has really helped our fitness level and we're feeling really great and I think that 
that might have been the first time where we weren't extremely sore after, you know, throwing and sweeping and things like that for the first time. So we're going in with a positive attitude and we just, we really want to make sure that we are improving ourselves every game and that we're, we're continually getting better and pushing each other to play better every game. And, and I think that we have four people that are always trying to do that. So we're just going to go there and, and see what happens and do, do what we like to do and do our best. And that does it for this episode of the From the Hack podcast. My thanks to all of our guests. Join us next week when we will recap the first Grand Slam of the season. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at From the Hack and on Facebook or Instagram and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. I'm Frank Rock and this is From the Hack.